Fantastic. It's great to have you here. Welcome. Are we going to have any interaction today? Fantastic. That's a good thing. Um, now, just real quickly before, I'm Dave, by the way, for those of you who don't know me, I'm part of the team here at Hills. And uh, before we get stuck into the Word, just very quickly, we sort of realized during the week that over the last four months of, our, of COVID and we've been in online church doing all those things, there's actually a, a few staffing things that we need to firstly announce and celebrate. Um, and we want to pray over. So we want to take a moment. Can Ben Peters, if you're still here, and Laura, come up the front? Let's give these guys a round of applause. So it's just worth quickly noting, uh, Ben, I'm not going to touch you, has come on board as our youth pastor, um, and we're so excited about what God's doing in in his life and um, what God's doing in the youth ministry of this church. So we welcome Ben, and Laura has come on board um, a day a week, as we said, we're going to try and get her to two days a week if our members say yes, but obviously the online season has been massive, Amen. Um, whether you know how much work or not that takes. She has been just doing so much work along with Adzi. Um, and so we want to actually just honour and reward someone for the work that they're already doing. And so we're uh, bringing Laura on staff too. So I'm going to ask Joel, if where is he? There he is. Uh, Joel, one of our elders, he's going to come and quickly pray over these guys. And I'll just invite you to stand to your feet and um, let's pray together. Yeah, Lord, we just thank you again for the opportunity to come here this morning uh, to worship you in person uh, as a family. And Lord, I just pray, uh, thank you for the time that we've spent just uh, lifting our voices and our hearts to you so far this morning. Lord, I I pray for these guys. I thank you for these guys. Uh, Lord, uh, you are a good God who gives good gifts. And I just thank you so much for these guys who are willing to use their gifts for your glory. Um, Lord, we are so blessed to have these Two young people as role models in our church, um, just, yeah, lifting your name, but showing other young people um, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to worship and um, with a heart of worship. So I just thank you so much for these guys. I pray a blessing upon their lives, uh, upon their marriages and potential marriages one day, Benny. <laughs> and Lord, yeah. <laughs> And Lord, just pray a real blessing upon the youth. We thank you so much that we have youth in this church and we have such a passionate leader who wants to share your love and the hope of Jesus uh, with those kids. I just pray a blessing upon these ministries in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And the second piece of information we want to bring is, is partially sad news, but also exciting news. And I'm going to ask Lauren Fleming to come forward. Um, Many of you obviously know Lauren. Lauren's our children's worker here at the church. And three years ago, uh, Lauren came on board staff with us here uh, because we were seeing kids come in. I actually didn't tell this story this morning, but I invited a friend of mine who's a pastor from another church uh, just to come and be a part of it and then say, give me feedback about how things are going. And he said, look, it was great. He goes, but your kids' ministry is crazy. Uh, And we brought Lauren on board and she has done just the most phenomenal job. And I think you'd all agree, an incredible job, Uh, but it's time for a new season. Uh, And so after three years, Lauren has decided that she's going to step down as our kids' ministry worker, which is Sad, but also exciting, because it's not, Lauren's not leaving our church, but uh, God's just doing a new thing. And so we wanted to take a moment to celebrate that, and we want to just honour, I guess, Lauren and the work that you have done 
Um, and thank you for three years of faithful service and we will miss you in this role and I'll miss spending time with you on a daily basis uh, and all the joy and fun that that is. But can we just take a moment to thank Lauren for that? And I'm going to... Lauren's... It's good. So Lauren's going to finish up at the end of this term. Uh, on Tuesday, we're going to be putting an advert out uh, asking for applicants for a children's worker for our church starting in term four. So keep your ear and eyes open to that and let us know if anyone fits the bill. But before we pray over you, Lauren, we'll give you a chance just to say something. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I just want to say, obviously, thank you. Um, church family, I'd love to talk to every single one of you, but together we are family. That's from kids through the team through to each one of you here. Massive shout out to the children. Love you guys so much. I've loved getting little texts from parents saying my kid wanted to dress as Jesus for book week. Um, just getting crafts sent to me. I get the joy of uh, not just being part of the ministry team, but seeing everything and all the, uh, it, you know, it's like a jigsaw puzzle and just sitting over it and seeing the whole picture. It is beautiful. I'm going to miss it. I'll still be here. But team, can I just say, that's probably the hardest thing for me. These leaders are exceptional. I'm just the coordinator. Um, I tried to break down that word and what it meant, but co means with, ord, I just decided that was ordinary. I'm just fairly ordinary. And the tour for me was kind of like, I was thinking dictator, <laughs> kind of the boss, but working alongside and having so much fun with ordinary people who Christ shines through. I love you guys. Yeah, I think that's everything. Uh, kids packs in a minute, kids, and there are hot chocolates with marshmallows afterwards, I think. Yeah, thank you. So Lauren, stay here. We're going to do the same thing. Can I ask uh, Leona and Marion, if you're still here, to come and pray? And Ben, are you? Where's? Is your family still here, Lauren? They've gone. All right. So again, let's let's stand to our feet, and Leona's just going to pray over Lauren. Jesus, we just thank you so much for our beautiful sister Lauren here today, Lord. Thank you for all the gifts she has in her life. Thank you that just for the way you created her, Lord. She's just perfect in every single way she is, Lord just striving to be more and more like you, Lord. Just waking up in the morning and seeking your face, and that's all you're asking of us, Jesus. So thank you for Lauren. Thank you how you used her gifts in this church. It's been such a blessing to have her as part of the team um, and to just see the children grow in faith under her leadership, Jesus. So we want to lift all the kids up in this church at the moment, Lord. We pray that they would just grow up knowing your name, Lord. We pray that they will grow up as strong leaders for this church or other churches in the future, just proclaiming your name, Jesus. Mm. Lord, I want to um, yeah, just lift Lauren and her family now up into your precious hands. Their future, they walk with you, whatever it holds, Lord, that you just keep them close to you. Jesus, we, we pray that Lauren's future will be very bright. And um, yeah, it's been a blessing to just have her for three years, throwing her heart and soul into kids' ministry. And may you just bless her and her family for this, Jesus. So we lift her up into your precious hands. And we trust you for her future, for the future of this church. It's all yours, Lord, and we hand it over. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Fantastic. So we ask that you would be praying for that, that God would be raising up the right person to fill very big shoes. Uh, very big shoes to fill. Lauren's done an incredible job, and we're so grateful for that. All right, we are going to get stuck into the Word. Let me quickly pray as we switch gears. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you that it is alive and active. And Father, we pray that you would speak. 
God, uh, if you can speak through the mouth of a donkey, you can definitely speak through me. And so I pray that you would use me uh, to proclaim your truth, your word. No one wants to hear uh, the wisdom of David Shepherd. We want the wisdom of your spirit, your truth. And so would you speak, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so this is an exciting season in the life of our church. There's so much happening and, uh, and it's great and it's good. Welcome to the 11 o'clock service. You're the hungry ones. The reason you're the hungry ones is because 11 o'clock, I don't have to finish at a particular time. So we can dive a little deeper, which I'm quite excited about because uh, we had to rush this morning, but now we get to dive in and we get to take our time with a word. Who's excited for that? Fantastic. We are about to embark on a series on the book of Hebrews. And um, this book is phenomenal. And it is, it's, it's so rich, guys. Like, this text is an incredible text. It's probably one of the richest theological statements in all of the New Testament. Um, I think we talk about it being a letter, but to be fair, it's probably what you would call a sermonic epistle. Now, what that means is it's, it's a sermon presented as a letter. So most New Testament letters, when you read them, say, I, Paul, writing to, so you actually have an author and you have an audience and it's, it's the author writing to that particular audience. Hebrews is different in that there is none of that introduction. It's just like, bam, just sermon and it's rich and it's deep and it's powerful. And so we don't know who wrote this and we actually don't really know who he wrote it to. We know that uh, whoever it is that he's writing it to, they have a profound and deep grasp of the Jewish Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. So we know uh, that there's most likely a Jewish audience, but they could be a Gentile audience who have just been studying and getting into uh, the Jewish customs and faith. So that's what we know. We know it was written between 80, 40 and 60, and we know that the author is closely linked with the disciples, the early church apostles. Um, and so he comes with integrity. Some people think it's Apollos. Some people think it's Paul. Lots of different people, depending who you read, would love to give their arguments. But at the end of the day, what we have is this powerful letter. And it's called Hebrews because it unpacks in great depth and with great power and great authority how Christ fulfills the fullness of the Torah. It's a powerful word. It's a powerful promise. Uh, and I am so excited to be getting into it. Um, one thing that we're going to see as we look at this is that the, the author to the Hebrews is really focusing on this idea of types and shadows. What do I mean by that? I mean that when you read the Old Testament, what you will see is that there's all these different uh, real-life events, real-life people, real-life places. So things that actually were something that had significance in that culture for those people in that time, but that those things actually also point to a greater reality that is to come in Christ. So they actually, the types, the shadows speak to uh, God's sovereign plan in how he will outwork his purpose for humanity for all time. Let me give you an example. Some of you would know in the, the book of Exodus when uh, they're traveling in the desert and Moses beats the rock and water comes out of the rock so that the Israelites had something to drink so that they could live in the desert. Yes? If you don't know that, go to the book of Exodus and have a read. 
But in that story, what we see is that Israel had a real need. This is a real thing that actually happened. They were coming out of the Red Sea. They were in the wilderness. They needed something to drink. Moses beats the stick and water comes out. But as we see in 1 Corinthians, Paul actually shows us that this is also a type. It is a shadow of the means through which God would pour out living water for all humanity in the person of Christ. That Christ is the rock who would be struck. And as he is struck, as he is crucified, out would come living waters to sustain all humanity, to give us the life that we need in our wilderness wandering as he brings us into the promised land of eternal inheritance in Christ. Does that make sense? And so all through the Old Testament, there's these real things. The Jewish Torah is full of them that we're going to look at, that the author of Hebrews looks at. But all of them he's saying, hey, these point to a greater reality. They are real, but they point to a greater reality that is to come. And it's awesome. And so here's what we're going to do. Because if we go through this book verse by verse, we are going to be teaching Hebrews for the next five years, right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at nine weeks. And can we put that up on the screen and just put the whole thing up? And we'll have a look. This is how we're going to teach it. So it starts, today we're going to have a look at just three verses as we set the introduction and the overview of what this is. And what we see here is the author of Hebrews follows a particular pattern. The pattern is exegesis. Everyone say exegesis. That means to teach, to dive in, to unpack. And then exhortation. Everyone say exhortation. And that's like an encouragement or even a warning, like a come on, like a coach sitting down going, come on guys. Right? So what the author of Hebrews does is he looks at these different types and shadows and he says, let me teach you what this means. Let me unpack all of this and its richness. Then he says, therefore, and he brings a warning about rejecting Christ, who is the fulfillment of that Old Testament shadow. How are we going? Good? And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at these broad brushstrokes, the broad... Uh, shadows and types that are covered and how the author of Hebrews would want us to understand that and Christ in that. And because he is greater, the emphasis is that he is greater. Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is, the, is supreme over all things. This is his emphasis. Therefore, how are we to live? And we get practical when he talks about live by faith, follow the examples of the old uh, ancient figures whom you know, you know these people. And he says, come on, let's live by faith. So it's a great, incredible book. It's an incredible exhortation. The author actually calls a short exhortation. It's so good. I can't wait to get into it. And this is what we're going to have a look at over the next nine weeks. Who's excited? Fantastic. So without further ado, let's go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. And it says this, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has, someone say has, spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom He made the exact, uh, sorry, He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being sustaining all things by his powerful word after he had provided purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven amen even with my big bible i still couldn't see it properly it might be time to get my eyes checked i think 
So I want to title this sermon today, for those of you who are interested in taking notes or communicating with the person next to you, the title of this sermon is, I'm not nervous because Jesus is. I'm not nervous because Jesus is. About 10 years ago, Joe and I had the privilege of traveling to Europe with my sister and brother-in-law. And uh, I don't know if anyone's ever done a trip like that, but when you do that sort of thing, we got six weeks and in our mind we went, let's try and hit as many cities and landmarks as we possibly can in six weeks. And if you have ever done that, you know how stupid that is because you get to week five of your six-week trip and you are so exhausted and you're no longer enjoying the trip because you're like, oh, do we have to go again as you try and just quickly travel through. And the last place that we went to was a city called Prague um, and it was fantastic. It's this beautiful place. But the thing about Prague is when you go there, you arrive on train, you hop off of the train and it is full on. Like, it is a very, very stressful environment. There's all these people who are running about trying to dupe you of your money. There's, like, corruption everywhere. I don't know why, but in the train station itself is this fake taxi thing where these guys are literally just trying to rip any visitor off, and they've got the cars parked behind corrugated iron, and you're like, I want a taxi. They're like, yes, come with me, come with me, come with me. And, like, this looks kind of sus, right? And I'm a high-trusting person, so these people come over, oh, come get a taxi, and I'm like, yeah, no worries. And my sister, who, let's say her spidey sense was going off at a million miles an hour, she's like, no, we're not doing that. And so we're all flustered, and these guys are trying to convince us, and these other people were worried about trying to take our money and trying to take our bags, and everyone's stressed. And I'm like, ah, I'm flustered. Where do we go? How do we get out of here? And there's Joe, two meters back from all of us, earphones in, not a care in the world, just walking like this. Completely unfazed, completely unfast as myself, my sister and my brother-in-law are stressed out of our mind, freaking out. And at one point I even turned to her with a bit of, let's say, fire. And I turned and I said, can you please engage? She just pulls the earphone out. What? I'm like, focus, please. Like, this is stressful. We need you. And this is what she said. And what she said, I think, was actually very profound. She just said, you're right, mate. You got this. Earphone back in and just kept walking. And in the moment, she had such wisdom because she didn't need to join me and my sister and my brother-in-law freaking out. What's one more person freaking out? It's just stressful. She's like, you guys have got this. You've got the lonely planet. You've got the map. I'm just going to sit back here and chill out and keep my eye on you and follow you wherever you go. Because I trust you because you've got it in hand. And it's this powerful analogy for what the author of Hebrews is trying to say, that in a world that he was living in, which is actually not that dissimilar to the philosophical climate that we're living in, he's speaking to these people saying, hey, when the you know, political ideologies are flying all over the place, when persecution is a very real, genuine threat to throw you off of this, this faith following of Jesus, when uh, there's all this stuff going on which could cause you to wander and cause you to get stressed out and cause you to give up on the faith you have in Christ. He's saying, I'm not nervous because my eyes are fixed on Christ. And what he's saying to these people and what this book is saying to us, despite its complexity, despite its depth, despite the rich theological language that we're going to encounter, at its core is a fundamentally very simple message. 
Keep your eyes on Jesus and don't give up. No matter what life throws at you, no matter what cultural, political, philosophical climate you might be in, keep your eyes on Jesus because He is the supreme being in the universe, because He is supreme over all things. He's saying, I'm not nervous. And this is so good. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to just take a, a quick look as we unpack some of this. But I want you to understand that this speaks so powerfully to us because we're living in a world of information and misinformation. We're living in a world where the media is, uh, it's hard to know what's true. Amen? Because fear sells. And so whatever, whatever's being published, we actually have to learn, how do we dissect this? How do we come to a place of understanding and, and truth? What is going on in the world? Just last week, I had a conversation with three different people, and those three different people had three very different views on what's going on in our world at the moment. Like, one of them is like, this is a, go a government conspiracy. There's no need, you know, to stress. It's all fake, whatever. Another person is talking about the fact that actually a second wave is coming, you know, and we've got to bunker down, and we've got to be ready because it's going to be worse than the first, you know, suffering from the Spice Girl conundrum where everyone's doing the best they can, but Victoria's stuffing it up for everybody. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> and then there's this, this other group, which is like, if there's a vaccine, that vaccine's going to be the mark of the beast. And we're in end times and there's genuine fear and anxiety and stress. And they're going, I don't know what to do. And they're being so flustered and pulled from pillar to post about how am I supposed to live in this generation and in this climate, this cultural philosophical climate that we are in. And this word speaks so powerfully into that, friends, that we are to live differently. We are to live as counter-cultural. We are to not just engage in these things, but we are to step out and live in the power and the promise of what we have in Christ that He is true and we can stand on Him. I'm not nervous. And friends, I want you to understand what we're facing today is actually nothing different to what the church has faced for over 2,000 years. Over and over and over and over again, the church has, has suffered at the hands of persecution. It has suffered at the hands of poverty. It has faced new philosophical ideas. It has faced governments and new policies. And it has faced... All these things that the world has thrown at it, and what do we see with the church? Still, it remains. In fact, it doesn't just remain, it continues to grow globally. Because God is in control, because God is growing His church, and we need to learn to stand on this. So the author's saying, I'm not nervous because God's not nervous. And then he encourages us why we should not be nervous, why we should not be shaken, why we should not wander from pillar to post, but we should stand firm in the truth of the gospel. And so here's the first thing that he gives us. He says, here's why I'm not nervous, and here's why you should not be nervous, and here's what you can fix your eyes on. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through prophets at many times in various ways, but in these last days, He has, someone say has, spoken to us by His Son. The author of Hebrews is not nervous in the climate that He lives in, and we should not be nervous because Jesus is God's final word. Jesus is God's final word. There is no new word. Word. Listen to me, church. 
Hebrews is declaring that Jesus is the complete, perfect fulfillment of every promise, every word, every utterance that God had given to his people from the beginning of time. All of it finds its completion in Christ. He is God's final word. His very being is God's word made flesh. He is the fulfillment. Everything we, every word God has spoken finds its place and its perfection in Christ. There's no one else coming. We don't need to be looking over our shoulder wondering if God's going to speak a different word. We don't need to wonder and say, oh, what if, what if that person is this? Or what if this person's got a different word than they to chase? No, God has spoken in Christ. He has. Period. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's word. And so everything, the answer to every question, the answer to everything we're seeking, therefore, is found in Christ. And you say, Dave, what about the Spirit? God gave us the Spirit. The Spirit might speak a different word. The Spirit might lead me down this path. No, read your scripture, John 14, 6. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Spirit is not bringing a new word. He's revealing the fullness of the word, which is Christ. And so when the Spirit of God comes, He will magnify and reveal all that Jesus is and has taught us, that it might become alive in us, that our eyes might be open to all that Christ has done and said. That is what the Spirit... And so any word that is contrary to this word that has been presented is not of God. And we have great surety in that we can reject it because God has spoken. And here's why that's significant in our culture. One, let's talk about, can we talk philosophy for a second? Who's ready for that? Is that all right? What is it, 11.50 in the morning? We're ready for some philosophy, aren't we? Again, look at the world that we live in. Look at our culture. What does it have to say about, let's talk about modernism. What does it have to say about the modern naturalists who will say that actually life, existence, there is, no, uh, there is no higher being beyond that which is found in the physical material world. So life and existence came into play by something that was already naturally there. There is nothing beyond what we see and experience. That life, therefore, came into existence by a silent, impersonal colliding of atoms which caused life to come. What's the fallout from that? Draw the metaphorical plumb line. What's the fallout? It means that life is meaningless. If we buy into that philosophy, it means life is meaningless, that the only thing that matters is just self-sufficiency. It's just me. Like, if there's nothing beyond this, the physical world, then why not just accumulate wealth and physicality for myself? Life becomes completely meaningless. There is no reason to live. And the author of Hebrews is emphatically declaring, no, no. No, there is meaning because life is not meaningless because there is a God who has spoken and he has intervened in the affairs of his creation and he is engaged with humanity. He is drawing humanity unto himself and therefore meaning is found in relationship, in, in discovering all that God has for us in Christ and our lives all of a sudden have purpose and direction, and security. When the world is crazy and is 
blowing left and right and there's all these different waves of teaching, we can stand counter to that with our feet firmly planted on the rock and not be shaken because there is meaning. Because God has spoken. So let's jump to the other end of the spectrum. Let's look at uh, modern day, like post-modern relativism. Who likes these words? Postmodern relativism, which teaches us that there is no truth, that all truth is just relative. It is, it is whatever I perceive it to be and whatever you perceive it to be. So what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me, and that's fine. Maybe there is a higher being, but there's no such, like, who are we to say that your higher being is more accurate than my higher being? No, it's all, it's all equal, it's all relative, everything's fine, let's just get on with life. What's the fallout from that? It means that the whole goal of life, the social norm that we should strive to achieve, do you know what it is? It's acceptance and tolerance. But let me tell you something, that falls down in the the moment we face adversity. The moment something difficult happens in our lives, that whole worldview will collapse. And we have nothing to stand on. There is no foundation. There is no surety. There is no hope whatsoever. But the author to Hebrews would bring a different word. He says, because God has spoken in Christ, therefore there is truth and his name is Jesus. And because truth has a name, our youth are going to preach on this next week. I want to go to youth group. Because truth has a name, because Jesus is truth, we have a sure foundation. We have a certain hope. We have an anchor, as he'll say later, for our souls. No matter what comes our way, difficulty, trial, temptation, success, fame, whatever comes our way, we have an anchor that will not be shaken and will not be loosed, which gives meaning and purpose and hope in a world of meaninglessness. Are you with me? God has spoken. He has spoken. And he upholds all things together by the power of his word. Truth is not a construct. It's a person. How are we going with philosophy on a Sunday morning? So I'm not nervous because culture can change, but truth remains, friends. It's Christ who sustains all things. He holds all things together, and that should bring us great peace. No one, no power, no entity, no worldview can take what Christ has established. So I'm not nervous. Second thing that we see, second thing, the author of Hebrews is not nervous because Jesus is God. We're about to see something that is going to blow your mind. This is so awesome. Let's have a look at this. Verse 2b through to 3. I know I'm teaching here today and I hope you're getting blessed by it. It says here, Whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. What does that mean? What's he, what's he saying? He's saying, have you ever looked at the sun and you've seen it where the ray, you actually can see that ray of light coming out of it. Ever seen that? Looked at a sunset, there's the sun and there's this, the, the ray that flows from it. The radiance of God's glory. Jesus is to God what the, the radiance is to the sun. It's, the, it's one and the same. It's unique, but not separate. 
Did you catch that? It's unique, but not separate. I wrote some stuff down. I'm going to read it so I get it right. Consider the example. Sun, ray, Jesus, God. There's no time that the sun exists without the beams of radiance, ever. The sun always has a beam of radiance. They cannot be separated. The radiance, therefore, is co-eternal with the glory. Christ, therefore, is co-eternal with God the Father. This is a powerful statement about the divinity of Christ. The radiance, too, is the glory radiating out. It's not essentially different from the glory. Christ, therefore, is God standing forth as separate but not different from the Father. This is high Christology. This is nosebleed section Christology. This is like incredible teaching that this Hebrew author is bringing about the nature of who Jesus is. This is so good, friends. Three, thus the radiance is eternally begotten, as it were, by the glory, not created or made. The rays of the sun are an extension of the sun. So Christ is eternally begotten of the Father, but not made or created. Are you with me? Lastly, when we see, we, we see the sun by means of seeing the rays. The reason we can see the sun is we see the radiance of the sun coming towards us. The same is true of the Father. We see the Father by means of the radiance of the glory, which is Christ. The sun is the radiance. So we see the Father through the sun. It is deep. But it's powerful. It's a powerful truth about the nature of Christ. And friends, this is why in a church like ours, sometimes we choose to just, we like, let's not worry about the early church creeds and all that sort of stuff. Sometimes we think, let's just throw the baby out with the bathwater. But no, we must remember that the early church, like we say stuff like, let's just go back to the book of Acts. But if we forsake the councils of the early church and the way they fought to bring about sound orthodox doctrine because they were wrestling with these things about the nature of who God is. And at the Council of Nicaea, the Nicene Creed was created where they powerfully declared that Jesus is God. And there was this big battle with this guy called Arius who was saying that, no, Jesus is created of God, but he is not in his nature God. And there was this big wrestle in the early church and they emphatically decided, no, we need to teach truth and truth is that Jesus is God. And this this passage is a powerful illustration of that, that Jesus is God. And we need to know that Jesus is. Do you understand what I'm saying, church? If Jesus is God, why are we nervous? What's the implication of this? If Jesus is who he says he is, who we profess him to be, we don't need to worry about whether or not our Christian freedoms are going to be stolen by China or Donald Trump is going to turn out to be the blooming whatever he is. We don't need to worry about that stuff. We just need to recognize that Jesus is God and it says that he is the one who upholds all things by his powerful word. He's the one. Nothing can change on a part except for his will and his desire. He is the one who we need to look to because he is God. He is God. And there's, oh, there's so much in that. 
John Stott, who's a fantastic theologian, he made a comment. He talked about the moon and the stars, carrying on the analogy. The moon and the stars. We go out at night. You ever been out at night time when it's pitch black? Like really pitch black when you can't see anything? And you're walking and you're like genuinely fearful that you're going to trip up? Have you ever done that where you walk out? I do this all the time where I walk out and I'm like this trying to find the step. You with me? Yeah? No? Yeah? You're like, where is that? Where is that? But then the moment the moon comes up, what happens? You can see it illuminates, but it's only a partial illumination. And we need to understand that the Old Covenant, the Old Testament is like that. The prophets are like the moon. They're reflecting the radiance of the sun, which gives us perspective and we can begin to see. But it's nothing like when the sun appears and the fullness of the glory of the sun is made and sight becomes pure. Are you with me? And this is who Jesus is. We have clarity of sight. And therefore, we need not stress or worry. I'm not nervous because Jesus is God. Third and final point. Jesus is, I'm not nervous because Jesus is seated. He is seated. After he had provided purification for sins, he did what? Pardon? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Friends, I have, when I read this, I had the most vivid memory of, uh, I think it was year 12 research project. They just introduced it, I think, right? And I went into the study room, the year 12 study room, about a day or two before that assignment was due. And it was pandemonium. There was like, I've never been in a more stressed environment. These kids are racing around the place. People are cutting stuff up, putting folios together. Others are frantically typing away. They're all stressed out of their minds. Like there's chaos and nervousness. And then at the back of that room was a kid called Tully. And Tully... I wish you could see it. He was sitting on, they used to have these lounges. He's sitting on a lounge. He had his feet up on the table. He had his arms reclined, this big smile on his face, just watching everything happening around him. Just watching and enjoying the scene. He was, there was not an ounce of stress in him. In fact, there was complete comfort and enjoyment. Why? Because he was finished. Because he was finished. Friends, Jesus is not nervous about the state of the world. Why? Because his work is finished. It's finished. He said it on the cross. He said, it is finished. He has made purification for sins. He has made it. He is God's final word. And because of that, he sat down and he chilling out. At the right hand of the majesty in heaven, he's given us his spirit to reveal the truth that he has proclaimed in his very being and nature. But he is seated. He's not nervous. He's not concerned about China. He's not concerned about North Korea. He's not concerned about Trump. He's not concerned about Corona. He's not concerned about any of this stuff because the work he has done is finished. And he has brought us to himself. And he says, I wish my people would stop stressing and they would start sitting at the feet of the one who is seated. Because when we sit at the feet of the one who is seated and we fix our gaze on him and we glory at who he is and what he has achieved and we know that that work is final and finished, that causes us to get into our countercultural position as a church and not be moved or shaken. We can stand in power and with great certainty and run the race no matter what comes our way. 
And as we dive into this glorious book, we are going to see this in full force. As over and over and over again, this author is going to exhort us to keep our eyes on Jesus and keep running the race. Why? Because Jesus is. He is the fulfillment of all these things and we can trust in him. I've got to close. Band, you can come up. I don't know about you, I'm pretty excited about this book. I'm pretty excited to dive into it. I'm pretty excited to have people at 11 o'clock where we can go a fraction deeper than at nine and we can unpack this stuff. But I want to invite you to stand to your feet. And my great prayer for us this week is that we would be a people who whatever comes our way are fixing our eyes on the one who is seated. I pray you have that image in your head that Jesus is there reclined at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, the full radiance of God's glory. He is God. He is seated. He is seated. His work is finished. And His Spirit is now drawing all men unto Himself. And a day will come when by the power of His Word, which upholds the universe, which exceeds every philosophy, which exceeds every counter-narrative, exceeds every story the world's telling us. No, He's the one who upholds it. And a day will come when He will do that and He will roll the heavens up like a scroll. And He will say, enough is enough. And the, every tongue will declare Jesus is Lord and every knee will bow. But my great hope for my life and yours is that we would choose to bow our knee right here, right now, and every day position ourselves at the feet of the one who is seated. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray that this word would take root in our lives. Father, I pray that whatever we're wrestling with right now, whatever is going on in our minds and in our hearts, whatever uncertainty, whatever insecurity, whatever struggle we have, it's not unfamiliar to the church. It's not new. It's the same struggle these people were going through 2,000 years ago. But I pray that we would take great hope and courage from the author of Hebrews, from the Word of God, which reminds us of Jesus' nature and why we can stand firm and sure. So may we go this week in that security. Because Jesus is God's final word. In fact, Jesus is God. And because of that, He's seated. We love you, Lord. We lift up one voice to you and we say, Amen, Amen, and Amen. Let's sing. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.